Uh, turn to your turn in your Bibles to John chapter four. We'll be back in the woman at the well this week. Um, and last week we really looked at how Jesus is the pursuer. It wasn't just happenstance that he had to go through Samaria to meet this woman at this well, but Jesus had a plan. He is the pursuer. And the amazing thing is that he is the pursuer of the unclean and the unworthy. This beautiful reaching grace and love of God. We talked about how relentless he is in pursuing us. And many of you have an awesome testimony of that relentless pursuant love. Some of you have some very colorful pasts, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful because Jesus sought you. He reached down, and he met you where you were at, no matter where that was. Maybe it was at a well. Maybe it wasn't at a well. Maybe it's at your workplace, or in your bedroom, or in your car, or in one of the lowest times in your life. Jesus came and met you because he loves you. We looked at last week how Jesus shatters historical divisions and taboos, how Jesus uh, shattered all of these barriers, all of these walls that should have been because we read that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We talked about last week how the Assyrians, about 750-ish years before, the Assyrians captured Samaria it was settled with foreigners, and those foreigners intermarried with the Jewish people. And with that, they incorporated a lot of their religion, a lot of their false gods. So as we talked about last week, D.A. Carson points out that these Jews viewed Samaritans as children of political rebels, as racial half-breeds with a religion that was tainted. We didn't talk about last week one indication of their tainted, broken religion is that they only believed and they only followed the Torah. Okay, these Samaritans, they only believed and followed the Torah. They didn't accept the prophets. They didn't accept the wisdom literature. They didn't accept all of the Old Testament, all the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews did. They only accepted the Torah. And so these Samaritans... There's a stigma, there's a cloud, there's a barrier that this woman carries with her every day, and it's simply because of her race, it's simply because of her background, it's nothing she can do anything about. She's unclean, she's tainted, she's unworthy because of her heritage. And yet, the Messiah loves her and pursues her. But then we looked at her, okay, right? That was her heritage. That was her background. That was where she came from. And then we looked at her and her own doing, her own actions. And admittedly, we don't have much info, but the information that we have is huge. And unfortunately, it's not very becoming because we read about this woman who's had five husbands and now she's living with a guy. She has this um, reputation being promiscuous. She's made horrible life decisions. She carries the stigma. And that stigma, that reputation causes her to carry heavy buckets of water in the middle of the day at noon, in the heat of the day, to avoid the chatter and ridicule and gossip of other women. She's unclean. She's tainted. She's unworthy. 
because of her heritage and because of her lifestyle. But yet, the Messiah loves her and pursues her. Last week, we didn't even talk about the simple fact that she's a woman, right? How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? See, in this ancient culture, men didn't talk to women in public. I've been some commentators that I read that men didn't even talk to their own spouses, didn't talk to their wives or their daughters in public. If they were to speak to them or, or have something to say to them, they would do that within their homes. And you see how Jesus shatters the boundaries. He shatters the cultural walls. He gets dirty because of his great love. For God so loves the world that he came, that he sent his only son, and he wants to be the savior of it. So, you know, when we read stories like this, oftentimes we pick a character. I don't know, like if you read stories as a kid, you read books as a kid, you always like try to identify with one of the characters in the story. And so many times we identify with the hero of the story. Last week I said, make no mistake, in this story we are not Jesus. We are not the hero. We are the woman. Think about how we love to compare ourselves. We measure ourselves against everyone else, right? Don't we tend to do that? It's like the trap of social media. Everybody puts their best face forward in social media, and everybody's lives look so charmed. They look so perfect. And how many of you know, like, there are dishes all over the counter, all over the sink. Like, there's kids' underwear just lying around in the living room sometimes. We love to compare ourselves. That's why the, the trap of social media, man, depression is up, never, no one's ever happy or satisfied, but even morally too, we, we look at a woman like this at the well and we go, well, I'm not, bad as, I'm not as bad as them. And the fact is, is yes, I am totally as bad as her. I'm adulterous in my heart, constantly selling myself to the things of this world constantly running off to the shiny objects that grab my attention, that, that capture my covetous heart. And even if you aren't as bad as her, you still have a nature that needs changing. Right? There, her heritage was, was no fault of her own. Her background, her race was no fault of her own. It seems like it's unfair. And I, I equate that with our fleshly nature, right? Original sin. We've been born into a sin nature that must be cleansed and made new, born again. There's nothing I could do about it, but I need Jesus and his Holy Spirit to make me new. So yes, I'm just as unclean until Jesus shows up. What a beautiful thing. Thank you, Jesus, that you shatter boundaries, that you shatter cultural walls, that you get dirty with us. Us, Gentiles, 2,000 years later, because he loves us, because he loves the world and wants to be our Savior. So let's read our text one more time this morning. John chapter 4, and I think my uh, text sheet has wandered away. I'm going to read it straight from the Bible today instead of on my notes. Imagine that. Every Bible, John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. We'll just read again. It says here, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making 
and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to drink, came, excuse me, came to draw water, and Jesus said, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. I thank you for narrative. I thank you for stories. I thank you for interactions between Jesus, between you, God, and us, sinful, broken people. I thank you that we get to learn about your nature God, we get to learn about our nature through your word. That this book is revealing you. This book is revealing your grace and your mercy. And it also reveals a bit of us. And so God, today, in your mercy, by the power of your spirit, God, move in us. Change us. Call us. Draw us away from the things of this world. And God, let us drink deeply of you. And never thirst again. We love you, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. It's been hot this last week, wasn't it? Like it's June and it's been 90, quite a few days. And 90 degrees and a bit humid, maybe a little breeze can really, really work up a thirst. It's easy to work up a thirst. I love just a simple glass of water, but I also love a good Arnold Palmer. That's my drink of choice usually in the summertime. We did a kitchen renovation this last uh, fall, and uh, one of the things that we did is we added an RO system. Somebody from the church here helped us out with some of our plumbing and blessed us with this beautiful RO system, and it is delicious. My water has never tasted so good. And uh, on these hot summer days, it is so convenient to go to that spigot, to go to that tap, and to flip a handle, and out comes clean, pure, beautiful quenching water. You realize that that wasn't the case in ancient times. You know these heavy buckets that they carried long ways to go to a well to quench their thirst. Right? And so, we have a thirst. And for us, like, right, it's easy to identify a natural thirst, especially on these hot summer days. But there's a thirst in each one of our souls 
that is deeper and unfortunately, oftentimes, much harder to pinpoint. Oftentimes, it shows up as this ache and this longing. Oftentimes, it shows up as, as um, not being satisfied or fulfilled. And unfortunately, then, because we can't quite put our finger on it, what is that feeling? What is that ache? What is that longing? Unfortunately, then, because it's tougher to identify, we often try to satisfy it with anything we can get our hands on. Sometimes that's relationships. Sometimes that's stuff. Sometimes it's five marriages and a live-in boyfriend. And we can scoff when we read a story like this. I can't believe this woman. I can't believe that she's had five failed marriages and a live-in boyfriend now. We can scoff, but what are some of the ways that we have tried to satisfy this longing and this thirst in our own lives? Like I said, it's sometimes tough to pinpoint. And so we turn to other things. Sometimes they're deep and dark and destructive things like drugs or alcohol or pornography. Sometimes it's not so dark and scary like relationships or consumerism. But each time we turn to something like that, ultimately it just simply points to this longing and this thirst that's deep within our soul. Even good things, things that are seemingly neutral at times, they can be part of the way that we try to satiate satisfy this longing, this thirst in our souls, like, like career or success or security, 401ks, whatever it might be, all the, like, all the different ways, even seemingly neutral ways that we can try to satisfy this thirst. All of these pursuits are ways for us to attempt to either numb or dull the longing and the ache or to try to comfort ourselves in this thirst. One thing that I've discovered is that it's a longing that has been put there by God, and it's for God. This thirst that has been put in our soul has been put there by God to be fulfilled and satisfied, uh, a thirst only met in the person of Jesus. So when we find ourselves actually face-to-face -face with Him like this woman at the well, and He looks into our eyes and He says, I know your past. When he looks into our eyes and he says, I know your hurts, I know your longings, I know that you've tried to satisfy yourself in all of this stuff, like five failed marriages and a living boyfriend, he looks at us and he goes, I know the ache, I know the longing. And again, maybe yours isn't five failed marriages and a living boyfriend, maybe yours is far more subtle but he still looks at you face to face. He still comes to you and meets you, looks at you in the eyes and says, I'm the one to quench your thirst. It's a longing put there by God, for God. It's a longing put there by the Father to be met in the Son, in Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, verse 10. 
It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Josh uh, beautifully pointed out this morning that I had a birthday this week. And uh, I did receive some gifts. I got some gifts. One, one gift in particular was pretty significant. It was a gift that my family, uh, a few of my family members, they went in together on. It was this tool and, and for woodworking and some different things and some fun projects that maybe I'll have to uh, tackle here in the near future. Um, but none of my family members asked me to pitch in for it. That's the thing about gifts, right? They're free. When you look at the Greek word here, when it talks about if you knew the gift of God, the Greek word doria means free of payment, that there's nothing you can do to pay for it, that there's nothing you need to do to pay for it, but it is free to you, that it is truly, truly a gift. With a past like yours, you might feel like you need to pay for it. You might feel that you don't deserve it, that you have to do something to earn it, but Jesus looks at the woman, he says, it is a gift to receive. If you knew this gift, and if you knew the one who is giving it, if, who, if you knew the one who is asking you for a drink, you would have asked me, you would have asked him for a drink. If you knew who I am, if you knew these two things, this beautiful gift that I have to offer and who I am who offers it to you, Messiah, Redeemer, the one sent by the Father into the world. Why? Because he loves the world. He loves the Samaritan, this tainted half-breed woman with a past. He loves her and has this beautiful gift of living water that ultimately bubbles up to eternal life. That's what he has for her. That's what he has for you. And there's this longing and there's this thirst in each one of us and it just muddies and clouds up, clouds up what it is truly that, it, that, that it's supposed to be in our lives, that it's supposed to be him. And it's a free gift, not because we deserve it, because he is just so loving and gracious. He is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who loves us. And those who drink of it will never thirst again. John chapter 4, verse 13, our text again says this, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him becomes in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, over the last couple chapters, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, Jesus is talking about spiritual things, right? He's looking at Nicodemus and he's saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't quite get it, right? He's too literal. He's like, how am I supposed to, as a grown man, that like, doesn't work. Here he says spiritual things using this analogy of a well and living water and she doesn't get it. Where do you get this water from? You cannot satisfy this spiritual thirst, this spiritual longing, this ache in our soul by natural means, by any means except the one that God designed, and that is through Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we separate the living water 
from the source of that water. So a lot of times in our, in our lives, I feel like we divorce uh, what it is that Jesus does and the person of Jesus himself. We split up the living water from the one who gives it and the one who is it. It's the thing about Jesus, right? He doesn't just want to give you something. He wants to give you himself, right? We long for peace. Oftentimes this longing, this thirst inside of us, it shows up because there's discord all around us. And so we long for peace. This last year, okay, the whole mess of this last year, be COVID, politics, it was just racial tensions, it was just a mess. Everybody's like, we want peace. In our souls, we felt it, we want peace. And Jesus is like, I've got peace for you. It's me. <laughs> it's not just peace, it's not just a feeling of peace, but it's the Prince of Peace dwelling within. That's why the thirst uh, is satisfied completely. You will thirst no more because he lives within. It's not just a feeling of peace. That's why comfort, we want comfort and stability. If we want the comfort, we need the comforter. We don't just need the feelings of comfort. We need the dwelling, indwelt Holy Spirit, the comforter living inside of us. Then it will be satisfied and we will never thirst again. We want stability. We want that feeling of security. What we need is the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Because if we have that, we will have that sense of security and stability. Oftentimes, we, just, we, we identify this thirst and we go, oh, I need peace or I need this or I need whatever. And we separate it from the person of Jesus. He is that living water. He doesn't just give you comfort. He gives you the comforter. So we need to receive him and let him dwell within us and become that spring that will always, always satisfy the living water bubbles up and we will never thirst again. That's, the thing about this is sometimes we read this and we go, oh, it's like a one and done kind of thing, right? You just take a drink and then you're satisfied forever. No, it, it's, it's not that way at all. It's just that we never, ever, ever, ever go to outside things because the one who is that living water now dwells within us. And it's not that you just drink once and it's done. It's just a one and done kind of thing. But you drink of him every day. That's why the word of God is so important. That's why communing with Jesus is so important through prayer and through study and through scriptures. And I promise you, he will satisfy every longing of your heart. In all of the clouded manifestations of that longing, what you think you need and what you think um, your soul, your heart desires, your life needs is really all encapsulated and found in Jesus. And it's this. It's because he's greater. It's because he is greater. Verse 11 of our text this morning says, The woman said to him, Sir... You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Right? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She asks him, are you greater? Are you better? Are you better than what we've hoped in all of our lives? And Jesus subtly yet resoundingly answers, yes, I am greater. She says, is your water greater than this water? Is your water greater than the well of Jacob? Are you greater than our father Jacob who drank of this water with his sons? And Jesus is saying, yes. I am better. I am greater. I am the way. I am the life. I am the living water. See, Jacob's sons, they drank of this well, and guess what? They died. They still died. They still died. But those who drink of me, those who drink my living water, who put their faith in me, receive me, will never die. It bubbles up to eternal life. I'm not sure what you're wrestling with in your life. I'm not sure what you've put your hope in and your faith in. I'm not sure how you've tried to satisfy that ache in your soul. But I promise you, Jesus is better. He satisfies. He satisfies that ache in your soul. That thirst was put there by God for God so that you would come face to face with him and that you would see how much he loves you and how he's never, ever left you. He has walked with you every step, even when you were ignorant of him, even when you were rebellious towards him. He walked with you every step to look you in the eye and say, drink of me and never thirst again. He is greater and anything in this world, anything that we could hope in, anything that we could put our trust in, he is greater than a past riddled with sin and hurt and pain. His comfort is more deep than any retirement plan. He is the living water. As we conclude, I want to read from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verse 1 says this Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat, right? That gift is free. Come by wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Today I'm... Come face to face with Jesus, your Savior. And let him look you just lovingly in the eyes and call you away from your life of striving. What I've learned over the last two chapters is that it doesn't matter if you're ultra-religious like Nicodemus. 
It doesn't matter if you're ultra-religious, like a part of the culture of religious establishment like Nicodemus, full of piety or right living. doesn't matter. You must drink of Christ. You must drink of his living water to be made right, to be born again. But then on the flip side, it doesn't matter if you're a part of the culture that the religious establishment would have looked down on you realize how polar opposite Nicodemus and this woman is? And the call is the same to both of them. You must be born again. You must drink of living water. Right? Even, doesn't matter what part of the culture you're a part of. If you're broken and tainted with a colorful past or you're a part of the uh, pious religious establishment, both are called to Christ to find life and hope and peace and joy in him and him alone. Both Nicodemus and the woman at the well, they only highlight the unquenchable thirst, this longing to be right with the holy God. You'll only be satisfied if you drink of Christ and his living water. I think if I could just sum up that thirst in one way, it's just... I want to be right. I want to be approved by God. I want God the Father to look down on me like a proud dad does on Father's Day and to say, I love you. I accept you. I receive you. You, great job. And the only way that us broken, sinful people can do that is through Jesus. It's to drink of Jesus. And what he does is what we've talked about over John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 is he purifies you. He washes you with, your, with his blood. And all of our sin is washed and made clean. We're no longer children of wrath, but now we're children of God. And he does something inside of us where it's not just a cleansing, but it's a newness that happens. It's a born-againness that happens. That's how we can stand before a holy God. The deepest thirst to my soul. There's amazing freedom in Christ. Freedom from religion and striving. Freedom from self-righteousness. But also freedom from sin and a broken, broken past. If we would just simply come and drink of Christ. To receive him into our lives and the newness of life that comes by the Spirit of God. This morning, if you're in this place and you have not received Christ as your Savior, today is your day to drink of living water. Right there in your seats, in your heart of hearts, confess your sin to Him and say, Jesus, I need you all the things that I've hoped in, I turn my back on. All the things of this world that I've, I've, I've been striving towards, I turn my back on. And I put my faith in you, Jesus. I drink of him. Understand that he washes you clean. He purifies your heart. And he makes you new. For his glory that you'll have eternal life found in him. 
that's you in this place today, make that simple prayer in your heart as we go to a time of worship in just a few moments. If you'd like someone to pray for you this morning as, as we do this last song together, there'll be folks from our prayer teams in this back corner over here. They'd be happy to pray with you. If you have questions, some of our elders and leaders will be back there. They'll be happy to answer any questions that you might have as well. Church people. Maybe you're a church person. And sometimes, how, do you, how many of you know, sometimes we get a little off track sometimes. Sometimes we find ourselves getting one foot a little too far ingrained in this world. We're, all these longings, all these things, and we're like, oh man, I, I can't believe I'm putting my hope and my trust in some of that stuff. Maybe there's some moments of repentance in here for us church people today too. You go, man, Jesus, let me be satisfied in you alone. Let me drink of you again. God, fill me with you and your Holy Spirit to overflowing. Let me be satisfied in you. If that's you today, too, do some business with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray. Nate's going to lead us in song. Stand up in just a moment. If you need prayer, please pray. Please have someone pray with you. That's something that I want our church to get better at, to take advantage of these moments where you can have people pray with you, whether it be one of the leaders of the church or maybe even just a family member at your seat. That's cool, too. That's cool, too. You are, you are the church of Jesus Christ. You have giftings, and, and, and you, it, it doesn't take much to pray with each other, to invite the Holy Spirit into that moment, to confess that need, and, and just to pray. That's beautiful and perfect. But let's pray. If you need prayer, pray for one another. Have a leader pray with you. And let's keep responding to the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, we thank you for... Guys, I, I thank you for thirst. I thank you for that longing that you've placed in our hearts. God, the longing that is supposed to lead us to you, to we sit at that well face to face with you. It doesn't matter where we are, where we've been, but God, when we come face to face with you, God, that we would see that you are the living water. You are everything that our soul has been thirsting for. And God, let us drink deeply today to put our faith our hope, our trust in you alone. God, if there's some church people in this room that have been one foot in this world and, and God, that they, they need to get back on track here this morning, God, I pray that you would um, cause them to repent, to turn, to ingrain themselves in your word and in your presence, that they too would drink of you again this morning. God, let us be your church to the glory of your name. We love you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, let's sing together, let's respond to God and his word this morning.